Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekend services here at CCC. It's so great to be together this morning. If you're uh, here with us in West, over in East, or watching online, so glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of, of CCC. If we've not met before, my name is Jimmy Cozy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited about this weekend. This weekend is really important to me personally for two, week, for two reasons. The first is because I've been on staff here at CCC for uh, just a little over 11 years. The first eight of those I spent leading our middle school ministry and then our student ministry team. And it is a blast. It is an amazing thing to be able to be there and have a front row seat to the Lord working in the lives of young people. But it's also important to me because I have four kids myself. I have a seven-year-old daughter named Hollis and a five-year-old daughter named Elliot, and then a set of boy-girl twins named James and Elena who will turn three in October. And I am so grateful to be a part of a church where my kids are consistently invested in and pointed toward Jesus. And that's the kind of church that we wanna be. You know, if you spend any time reading in the gospels, it's not gonna take you long to discover that young people matter to Jesus, that Jesus loves them, he cares for them. In the passage we just read, he has his arms wide open to them, even going so far as to say, to such belong the kingdom of God. And so if we're gonna be a church where the things that matter to Jesus also matter to us, that means we need to reach out to the next generation, to kids and students, both in our church and in our community. And so my outline this morning, I'm gonna hold out three things to you about next generation ministry here at CCC. The first is why it can't wait, why it can't wait. The second is why we do it the way that we do it. And then the third is what your part is. So if you're a note taker, you wanna follow along, why it can't wait, why we do it the way we do it, and then what your part is. And we'll start with that first one, why it can't wait. We cannot wait to serve the next generation and reach them for the sake of the gospel. And I know it's tempting to say, well, they're young. When they're a little bit older, they can shape the church to make it what they want it to be. But what I'm here today to tell you is that we, have, we can't wait on reaching the next generation for a few reasons. The first is because we wanna leave a legacy of impact uh, here in Northeast Ohio and beyond. If we wanna do that, the time is now. Let me tell you what I mean. So uh, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. I've lived here my entire life. I grew up in a town called Talmadge. It's about 10 miles south of here. And you know, uh, if you grew up in Northeast Ohio, but you, you did not live in Hudson, there is a perception that you can have of the city of Hudson. It's kind of like uh, a Norman Rockwell painting that has come to life. It's just a way that people who are from Northeast Ohio, but not from Hudson might think about uh, Hudson. And I met my wife. We've been married for uh, just about 12 years. She is from Hudson. She was born and raised here. And uh, when I got to know Emily and got to know her family, one of the things that I started to realize is that there are actually multiple parts of Hudson. And Emily and her family come from uh, what I would call the farming part of Hudson. 
You know, it's kind of like you get all the benefits of Ashland County, but the property, property taxes of a affluent <laughs> suburb. You know, I remember one of the first times that I interacted with Emily's parents, my, my father-in-law uh, made a point of informing me that his daughters had been intimately involved in the process of taking a bull and making it into a steer. And I was really curious as to why, you know, even yesterday over breakfast, my wife told me that I was a city boy, which I have no idea how to even uh, react to. But we live where in, on the property that Emily grew up on. And so on that property, we have uh, several different animals, one of which are pigs. And I don't know if you've ever spent any time around a pig. Uh, pigs are difficult animals to work with. They're big, they're smelly, they're low to the ground. If you try to get a pig to do anything, it's really difficult. They weigh 250 pounds. Uh, by the way, if I was Pastor Joe, I would have a pig up here with me. But <laughs> that would be a mistake. That would be a mistake because that's what they're, you know, on farmersonly.com, they say city folks just don't get it. And that's what they're referring to is decisions like that one right there. <laughs> but I remember the first time I was invited to be a part of the process of getting the pigs out of the pig pen and into the trailer to be taken off to be processed. And this was a fascinating process to me because we've got these huge animals. They don't want to move. They don't want to go where you're taking them. And we had, we had two problems we had to solve. The first was we have all these pigs and they're loose in the pig pen. And then the second was we're trying to get them into this trailer that's raised about two and a half feet off the ground. They have to go up this little ramp. And so we had this system using like gates where we would slowly be able to move them, get the pig to move forward a little bit. And then you lock the gate in behind them. And eventually you could coax them up out of the pig pen, up the ramp into the trailer and, and everything was good. But it was so important. You could not have any breakdowns along the way. If you had one breakdown, they're too strong, they're too quick, they're too low to the ground, you can't get leverage, they're gonna slip out and you have to start the whole process over again. And the reason I tell you that is because there is a similar dynamic when it comes to generations in the church. We cannot afford to miss on reaching a generation for the sake of the gospel. And let me give you just some data that will add some color to this picture. So uh, the number of people who identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated has doubled since the year 2012. That means in the United States, there are twice as many people now who have no religion than there, there were 10 years ago. One in five United States adults is somebody who identifies themselves as a former Christian. One in five adults. So somebody who was once a Christian, but has now moved away from that faith. In recent Harvard graduating classes, the highest religious category indicated through survey is agnostic. And the younger a generation gets, the more extreme these statistics become. And so it's important for us to know that we are, uh, the, the next generation is becoming more and more post-Christian and it is urgent that we reach them with the message of the gospel. But another reason we can't wait on reaching kids and students is because evangelism is going on all around them all the time. You know, it's interesting that our religion has become something in our culture that is not really talked about much in the public square. The perception is that you're supposed to keep your religious views to yourself. That's something that's personal. It's not something that's for discussion. It's sort of socially unacceptable or taboo to talk about religion with others at work or at school, etc. But the irony of that is that our culture is constantly and relentlessly holding out its worldview to our children 
and inviting them into it. There's a reason that TikTok stars and social media influencers can make tens of millions of dollars a year. It's because they have massive audiences filled with kids and students and they are constantly holding out a worldview and inviting them into it. And our kids and students need to hear about Jesus. It's like what Paul says in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 10 when he says, how are they going to hear if nobody tells them? And who better to tell them than us? If we don't evangelize our kids and students both here in the church and in the community, somebody else will. And then the final reason we must be urgent about reaching kids and students for Jesus is because we right now have an opportunity at the most significant spiritual time in their lives. And here's what I mean by that. There's data that shows that over 75% of people who place their faith in Jesus will do so before they turn 18 years old. So that means that we as a church are located in a community where we have tons of high schools and and middle schools and schools and, and thousands of students who we have an opportunity to reach at the most significant spiritual time in their life. Every year, thousands of students graduate and move on from our area. And we as a church wanna be driven by the question, what have we done to give those students and those kids a chance to hear about who Jesus is and the life that he offers them? And I know as a church, we've set a goal that over the next 30 years, we would like to see 10,000 people come to faith in Jesus. And that's an incredible goal. That's an exciting goal. Oftentimes when I think about that goal, it makes me think about the frontiers of Christianity. And oftentimes when I think about the frontiers of Christianity, I envision something way out there in a country that's far away. But the fact of the matter is there are frontiers out there, but there's also a frontier right here. Every week we have hundreds of kids who come through our kids area on weekend services. Down at the block, our student ministry team interacts with hundreds of middle school and high school and college students. So the frontier is not just out there, it's right here. It's back there in the kids area. It's down at the block. We have an incredible opportunity that sits in front of us right now to reach kids and students for Jesus. And it can't wait, it can't wait. Second thing though, that I wanna share with you today is why we do it the way we do it. So as I shared previously, my first eight years here at CCC, I spent doing middle school ministry and I loved middle school ministry. I had a lot of ideas during that time. A few of them were good. Most of them were foolhardy, but it was a a great thing to be a part of. And one of the ones that I remember was we used to do an event here called Edge Games. It's now called Middle School Games. And it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It is this big set of games for for middle school students. And uh, one day I was preparing for edge games and the way that I was doing it was by searching for stuff on the internet, which should, by the way, be like bullet point six in the job uh, description of a youth pastor. But I was looking around for stuff on the internet and I found these beach balls that were branded like emojis. And so I got this idea that at Edge Games, we would fill the gym with beach balls that were branded like emojis and we would play all these games with them. And so we ordered like hundreds of these, maybe over a thousand of these beach balls. We also ordered, there were ones that were six feet across, branded the same way, big giant beach balls. We ordered a bunch of these. And I remember uh, the day of, of the event came and I remember this moment where uh, my staff team and I were sitting in the gym with this pallet of uninflated beach balls And we had 
come to the realization that the nozzle on our air compressor was incompatible with the nozzle on the beach balls, which meant that if we were pulling off edge games that night, there was only one way it was gonna happen. We were gonna inflate those beach balls the old fashioned way. So we called as many people as we called. We had volunteers come in. We sat on the gym floor and inflated beach balls for like three hours. And the event ended up going really well. It was a blast. Kids heard about Jesus. But the question is, why? Why go to all that effort? Why inflate hundreds of beach balls by hand? Why put a full scale model of a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the atrium for kids camp? Why invest in full-time staff throughout our kids and college team? Why uh, invest in a, an entire facility just for student ministry? Why do we do student and college and kids ministry the way that we do it? Well, there are a couple of passages that I think are really helpful here. Uh, both of them are in the book of Acts and both of them are the Apostle Paul. And what I want you to see is in each situation, the Apostle Paul is sharing Jesus, the message of Jesus with a group of people. But there are key differences in the way that he does it. So the first one is in Acts chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to read verses 36 to 39 and then verse 43. But in this scenario, Paul is in the synagogue. He's interacting with a group of Jewish people. And I want you to pay attention to how he shares the gospel with them. Let's start in verse 36. It says this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then skipping down to 43, it says, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So in this situation, Paul is at the synagogue and he's interacting with a group of Jewish people. And these people would have been raised in the Jewish tradition. They would have been steeped in the Jewish tradition, which would mean that they would be very, very familiar with the Old Testament with the stories of the Old Testament, with the law, with the prophets. In fact, many of them probably would have memorized big portions of the Old Testament in their upbringing and in their educational background. These people knew what they were talking about when it came to the Old Testament. And their belief system was that the way to please God and have relationship with him was to observe the law was to come to the temple, to make the sacrifices, to do everything right, to get everything right. That was the way that you, you pleased God. And if you look in the passage and in the surrounding verses, what Paul does is he comes in and he gives a sermon where he sort of walks through the entire Old Testament and the law. And he says, look, you need to understand that everything you've read, all of these things were meant to point you forward toward Jesus that the law is not the way to relationship with God. Obedience to the law is not the way to please God. You could never do that perfectly, but you don't have to because Jesus lived perfectly on, his, on your behalf and his righteousness can be credited to your account if you place your faith in him. The way to please God is not what you think. It's not to obey the law. It's to follow Jesus who lived on your behalf and credited his righteousness to your account. That's his message to them. All right, now I want to skip ahead to Acts chapter 17, okay? And in this case, Paul is sharing the same message, the message of who Jesus is and what he's done, but he's with a different group of people. 
He's at the Areopagus in Greece, in Athens, Greece, sharing with a group of Greek people. I'm going to read Acts 17, verses 22 to 25, and then I'll read 30 and 31. Here's what it says. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then skipping to 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul is now with this group of Greek people in the Areopagus and he shares the message of Jesus with them. But what he says is, he's, he says, I've been walking around your city. I see all of these statues to all of these gods. This would have been a polytheistic culture with all the ancient Greek gods. And he says, I stumbled across a statue that says, to the unknown God. And what that tells me is you guys are so concerned about making the gods happy that you've created an extra statue that says, hey, gods, we want you to be happy just in case there's somebody we missed. There's somebody we forgot to worship. We want you to be happy with us as well. So we hope this is good enough. We created a statue. We don't know you. We want to know you. What Paul says is you got to understand this. God is not unknown. He is known. And he is not hiding the way to please him. The way to please God is through Jesus. Jesus has accomplished everything you need to accomplish to please God on your behalf. And it can be credited to your account if you place your faith in him. So what we see there, exact same message. The way to please God and have a relationship with him is through Jesus. Completely different method. With the Jews, Paul references their religious tradition. He quotes scripture. He says, you understand everything you've been taught was pointing you forward to Jesus. With the Greeks, he doesn't reference scripture at all. He references their religious tradition. He says, you've got this unknown God. I'm here to tell you, God is not unknown. He is known. He has made himself known through Jesus. That's the way to relationship with him. In each situation, Paul shares the same mes message, but using methodology and terminology that would have made sense to the person hearing it. And so to, the answer, to answer the question, why do we ki do kids and student ministry the way to, that we do it? It's because of that. We want to share the same message of who Jesus is and the life that he offers to kids and students in our church and in our community using methodology and terminology that gives them the best chance to respond to the gospel and place their faith in Jesus. And the final thing I want to tell you though today is your part, what your part is. And to do this, I'm going to talk to three different groups of people. The first group I'd like to talk to are kids and students. So if you're a kid or you're a student and you're here, this is, this is for you. I'm talking to you. I'm going to give you something to encourage you and then something to challenge you. My encouragement to you is this. Everything that you think you need can be found in Jesus. Everything that you're searching for 
can be found in Jesus. There's a temptation as a kid, you feel like you're always searching. If I just, if I just get into the right high school, if I just get into the right college, if I just have the right relationship, if I just make the varsity team in this sport, if I just get this or that accomplishment, then I will have what I've been looking for. But what I'm telling you today, what I'm here to tell you today is this, that what you're looking for is Jesus. You need him more than you need everything else. And the rest of your life will not make sense and fit together until you give your life to him. You belong to him. That's what you were made for. So the things that you're searching for can be fulfilled through him. But then my challenge to you is this, get involved. You know, there's a temptation to think that my faith is something personal, it's something individual. But if you look in scripture, it's pretty clear all throughout scripture that relationship with Jesus has never been an individual enterprise. It's always been something that is lived out within the context of community. And what I mean by that is you were not meant to try to follow Jesus alone. And I know it's hard to follow Jesus alone. At your schools, on your sports teams, in your neighborhoods, that's why we have a student ministry. That's why we have a kid's ministry. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you're a kid or a student, don't sit on the sidelines because you are not meant to try to follow Jesus alone. Find other people to walk through life together with. Connect with Jamie, connect with Sarah, get into a circle, get into a group. Don't try to follow Jesus alone. That's not what you were made for. That's my challenge. All right, the second group, I want to, group of people I want to talk to are parents because we have a lot of kids and students at this church, which also means that by necessity, we have a lot of parents. And so two things for you, an encouragement and a challenge. My encouragement to you is this. We were uh, recording a podcast recently and uh, Pastor Zach said something as a kind of a side comment that actually really stuck with me. He said that our job as parents is to build the resume of the Lord in our children's lives. Our job as parents is to build the resume of the Lord in our children's lives. And so my encouragement to you as parents is to figure out what does it look like for me to consistently build the resume of the Lord in my kid's life, to show them that he has their best interests in mind, to show them that he is good, that he's trustworthy, that he loves them, that he wants good things for them, that it's worth it to follow him. As parents, we should be thinking, how can I build the resume of the Lord in my children's lives? But then my challenge to you is this, to play the long game, to play the long game. And what I mean by this is I want us as parents, and I'm speaking to myself as well, because I have four children myself, is to think about what do I want my kids to look like in 20 years? What kind of person do I want them to be? What would be the most important thing that I would want to have happen in their life? What would I want them to be? What kind of adult do I want to raise? Because I think we have to be careful as parents that we do not inadvertently communicate to our kids that the most important thing about them is that they become accomplished athletically, academically, or artistically. And this looks different for every family. I recognize that. You know, for me, I am really grateful for my parents. I, and the more time goes along, the more grateful I become. But I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was on a baseball team. And from time to time, my baseball games would have conflict with our church services. And every single time, my parents would either pull me out of the game or I would have to miss the game altogether. And I need to tell you, I hated it. I hated it. But from a young age, my parents were consistently, consistently communicating to me that there are good things and that there are ultimate things. They were playing the long game. They were making family and scheduling decisions with the end in mind. They were not letting the tyranny of the urgent 
uh, take place in their lives. And like I said, every family has to figure out what this looks like and find the balance. One family might do it one way, another family might do it another. But my challenge to you as parents is to play the long game, to think through how does our, what message am I communicating to our kids by the way that we schedule, by the things that we prioritize, and by the way that we run our lives. Because the fact of the matter is, our job as parents is to think about what do we want our kids to look like in 20 years? What kind of adult do we want to raise? And then the final group of people that I'd like to talk to is everyone else. So you're here, you're not a, you're not a kid, you're not a parent, and you're wondering, okay, uh, what is my part in all of this? And for you, I have the same thing. I have an encouragement, and then I have a challenge. The encouragement is this. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was a part of a really great church. And there was a guy at this church uh, by the name of Clint who was actively involved in my life. And he made huge invest investments in me, both overt investments where he would be specifically telling me about who Jesus is and what he had done, but even things like showing up to games or just being a part of my family's life. And God used him in incredible ways to point me to Jesus. But the most important way that God used him was that he gave me a flesh and blood example of what it looked like to follow Jesus uh, all through in all areas of life. And my encouragement to you today, if you're somebody who's here and you are not a kid, you're not a parent and you're wondering, okay, what do I do with this? Uh, well, maybe you could be that kind of person for one of the kids and students at our church. We have hundreds of kids and students who are involved in what the Lord is doing here at CCC. And every single one of them needs flesh and blood examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus in every area of life. So maybe that could be you. If that sounds interesting to you, then what I would encourage you to do is to contact Jamie Hewitt, contact Sarah, Sarah Coons, jump in and get involved. There's nothing like being able to have a front row seat for what the Lord is doing in the life of a young person. But then the other thing I have for us is a challenge. And the challenge that I have for us as a church is that we need to think through what it looks like to make room for the next generation in our church. And this will always come at a cost. It'll always come at a cost of time, of resources, maybe even of preferences in the way that we do church. But I also know this. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it is at least due in some part to the fact that somebody in a generation before you cared enough about you to make room for you in the way that they were living out their faith. And so we, as followers of Jesus, who are part of this church, who wanna see the next generation live for Jesus are gonna need to do the same. But then the other thing that this involves is it, when we do this, we reflect who Jesus is. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus cared enough about us that he came at great personal cost to himself. He came and lived perfectly, died on the cross so that we might have relationship with God. And that same heart that Jesus had for you, he also has for the next generation. We have hundreds and thousands of kids and students that we have an opportunity right now to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And so if the things that are going to matter, if, if we want the things that matter to Jesus to matter to us as a church, then we need to reach them with the gospel because they matter to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to be invited into relationship with you through your son, Jesus, first and foremost. We thank you that through him, you've redeemed us and forgiven us and made us new. 
And we also thank you for the opportunity that we have to share that news with our kids within the church and in the community. And we pray that they would come to know and love you in incredible and meaningful ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.